Hello, I'm Brett Terpstra, and you're listening to Systematic. This week's guest is Greg Pierce, an independent software developer and creator of drafts for iOS and Mac. It is great to welcome him back to the show after uh, it's been a few years. All right. So this is our second try. Um, welcome back again, Greg. Thanks for having me again. I had a I had a call recorder mishap last time we tried to do this and ended up uh, curtailing our conversation so that we didn't have to repeat ourselves right away again. I'm 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 glad we get a second opportunity to do this. Um, for people who don't know, you are the creator of drafts, which is a a note cap. How would you a text capturing application? How would you de- how would you describe drafts? The the primary purpose of it, I think, is to be a sort of Swiss Army knife for text, just a place to jot stuff down, to um, have it synced to all your devices, and then to be able to manipulate it and send it other places. Yeah. All right. So we will we, we will be talking quite a bit about drafts as we go. But uh, the last time you were on this show, which is so long ago that that it's almost out of memory, but it was in January of 2014, which... Uh, in March, that seemed like a long time ago. Now it seems like forever ago. It does. Time is a lot has changed since then. Yeah. Do you have uh, Do you have kids? I have three kids. Yeah. I'm I'm curious. Are Are they school age? Well, I've got twins that are 18 and are about to head off for their freshman year of college, and then yeah. I have a 13 year old who's going into eighth grade. Oh, so you're in the thick of the debate over whether school should open right now? Um, yeah, I, I am. We're seeing both sides of it. As far as our middle schooler at K through 12, we're not ready to go back to school, and I don't think that there's any reason he'll be going back to school for several months at least and you know until we see how things go um but we did decide to let the college age kids go off to school and i feel like they're both going to you know competitive elite universities that uh have a lot of you know science on campus and are have pretty good strategies in place to uh, keep things under wraps. And in some ex- some aspects, they may be the test case for what we should be doing nationally right. with a lot of proactive testing and uh, quarantining and uh, contact tracing and stuff that we should be doing much more broadly, but they can actually enforce on a campus uh, yeah. and hopefully keep things safe for them. I'm realizing that we really don't know what we're talking about. Not you and I specifically. I'm not going to, not that, not that I know what I'm talking about, but as a country, like we think we have figured out how to contain this and we just think we're not doing it. But then I look at states like Georgia that really haven't had any mask mandates or, or they, and they opened up pretty early and their RT is below one now. Michigan has had a mask mandate for a month and they're not declining in cases. So I feel like everything's kind of an experiment still at this point. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true that, that, uh, you know, you look across the world and we try to take examples from other countries that have kept it under control or whatever, but they've all had different strategies in Mm -hmm. some way or another. There's no one silver bullet to, to say that's exactly what we should all do. Yeah. So I take kind of a I'm I'm very liberal politically, but I'm willing to say that we have a lot to learn and uh, and I'm not going to people that are willing to take their chances aren't as crazy as as they're made to seem. I think there's a certain amount of everyone's just giving up anyway. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. I think that the it depends on what circles you travel into. The demographics, like anything else in this country, the demographics of the disease affect the way it, it's getting treated as well. And I think there are a lot of people in the more privileged sectors of our socioeconomic system that haven't seen it affect them directly, um, you know, haven't had a very close relative in the hospital because of it or whatever. Sure. And uh, it's harder for them to, to, you know, take it seriously, I think. So since 2014, back then you had, you had several applications. Tally was one that I really appreciated. 
are, are all of your applications still being maintained? Or are you focusing mostly on drafts now? I've discontinued several apps that, that I would have had active then or been working on then. I still have uh, my dictionary app terminology and and tally are both still in the store, but I'm not actively developing them. I'm just kind of doing uh, compatibility releases here and there to make sure they keep working. Uh, I basically spend all my energy on drafts these days. Yeah. Well, and you did release uh, the dictionary for terminology as a Mac OS dictionary. Right. I mean, the original project that the reason I did that project was I stumbled on WordNet, which is an open source semantic dictionary that I thought was really cool. And I started messing with it back when I was that, you know, terminology came out in 2010. It was my first significant uh, iPhone, iPad app. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was just playing with ideas and manipulating that data set. Um, I had some experience with it. So since I was already doing a bunch of data prep on that, I decided to export it as a dictionary you could use in the Mac OS version as well. Yeah. So many of my own projects have started as a result of discovering something open source that I saw some crazy potential in. And uh, just having the having the data, or or in some cases, just the source code available, sparks uh so many ideas for me and i think uh i think it says a lot about open source culture in general that that's kind of the the way the way things begin yeah it's interesting that wordnet project is something that came out of linguists uh in in princeton and they originally developed it more and it's more used in applications like artificial intelligence and such to help with understanding relationships between words, not just provide definitions of words. It's a very, you know, so terminology was well suited to uh, being a writer's dictionary where you weren't necessarily looking for what you get out of the thesaurus. You don't want synonyms, but you might want the kind of relationships that are in that data set, like more specific words or yeah. less specific words. Um, or other related words like that, um, it, you know, is something I got very interested in playing with and curious about. It was fun to wrap that up in an app. So still available, but not being actively developed. Right, right. Yeah. And you'll keep Tally going for a little while? I will. I've toyed with it. I, I really like the app. It's a simple little app. And I keep telling myself I'm going to carve out time to update it. But I've been so busy with drafts, I haven't. I kind of hope I'm hoping sometime early next year I can free up some time and use rewriting Tally as a better way to dive deep into Swift UI. Sure. Um, you know, an excuse to uh, really uh, go deep on that and see where I can use it moving forward. So hopefully next year. It still works, though. Yeah, works that's for the thing. Is I don't need it to do anything else. I just need it to continue functioning. It's like... For when I need an app, uh, like when I'm counting anything that's going to uh, be uh, set, uh, timed out such that I'll forget where I was at or I'm counting high enough that I'm going to forget where I was at, just having a clicker is is all I need. And it's perfect for that. I actually get a burst of sales and attention for the app over the course of the pandemic because there was a number of people approaching me who were having to control crowd numbers sure, sure. You know, like stores that were counting people when they came in and, and went out and stuff like that uh, it was interesting to see them looking for technical tools to keep up with that stuff i uh i was at a garage sale no i was at axman in minneapolis uh which is a a, a surplus store a lot of medical surplus and electronic surplus Mm -hmm. And I got a door, it, it was like a, it was a laser beam kind of, or just a light beam. And every time the beam was broken, it would tick a counter used at like supermarkets to measure foot traffic. Right, right. And, uh, and I brought that home and I re-rigged it so that instead of the little 12 volt trigger to the counter, it would actually trigger an X10 switch. So I could make, uh, I could, instead of having a motion detector, I could actually have basically a tripwire for my nice. home automation. 
that sorry that was tangential i just i think of these things now and then no absolutely i miss i miss the old days of home automation when everything was very much MacGyver. <laughs> yeah i don't do much of anything with home automation just because i don't know i i think i toyed with it a little in the early years and it just seemed like a frustration and i'm sure some of it's gotten better but i see enough people you know bitching on twitter about uh the things not working right, or it seems like you spend more time fidgeting with it than you do benefiting from being able to absolutely tell, tell your dingus what to do. And it's, it's, it's far more the realm of people who are, who live alone because home automation is painful enough for one person, but when other people have to deal with your home automation, that's where you get into trouble. Uh, nothing, nothing upsets people who live with you more than not knowing how to turn on the light in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. A good old switch is always or, handy. or the light in the bathroom, just suddenly going off on them with no explanation. I mean, I, I have a, I have two home pods and I basically, they're just music players. Yeah. Um, and I, my wife curses at them all the time because she just can't get Siri to understand her. And I don't know if it's just something about her voice or her accent. She se seems to speak normally to it to me, but it never understands her. Huh. And I'm like, she will not enjoy, you know, and maybe uh, maybe the Amazon one would work better for her or something. But uh, I don't think she would enjoy being able to do that yeah. all through voice. My use of, of the Amazon one is primarily budgetary. Um, but I do find she is I, I I can't remember the last time she misunderstood anything I asked her, and uh, and she's always she's prompt with the uh, the information I need. Uh, does pretty good job with home control devices. Yeah, I I if if all else fails, I would say get yourself a a dot and and see if she understands better. Yeah, I haven't really voice control is still weird for me too. I don't use uh, use Siri that often for things even with the home pods i tend to just uh start something on my phone and send it over there with airplay i don't uh, talk talk to it that often except I, for to turn up and down the volume when i'm like cooking and my hands are dirty sure. or something i love asking for music that's for all of my all of my assistant devices i think the thing i use them for most often is hey play that song by so and so uh it's amazing to me to just be able to say that into the air and have the song play I'm old enough to remember that 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 is always that is, that has not always been a thing. That has been far from a thing for a long time. Yeah, I, I still I gave up on vinyl years ago, but I still think about the level of convenience. Like you basically you put on music and you got ten to fifteen minutes of music before you had to get up and go <laughs> flip you, the record. Or do you miss the record scratch? Like the, that, that when you first drop the needle, that little crackle before the song. Um, I don't think I do. I do miss the ritual of it yeah. and I do mi miss the social aspects of records to some yeah. extent, you know, that was a big part of a lot of my friendships was, was sharing music and stuff. And, you know, you go over to a friend's house now and there's not a, a shelf of records to <laughs> flip through and talk about and. You know. I think I think there's room for an app that just adds a crackle before every song it plays. Like it does yeah. it has no special music controller or or you can make it even a more obtuse music controller where you had to actually like drag the needle onto the song to get it to start playing and you get the crackle, get that ritual back for people. Yeah. And when, it just when you're done with randomly drafts. every once in a while. <laughs> loops uh, a half a second thing until you pick up your phone and shake it or something and when the song ends it just plays the last like five seconds over and over again um yeah so when you're done when you're done working on drafts that's uh we can collaborate on that app i was thinking about uh, uh vinyl in general a lot lately my son's gotten it one of my sons has gotten into vinyl quite a bit and I took the time. I had a jukebox in my house growing up. My parents bought a old Seberg uh, jukebox, which was a very cool, fun novelty to have. But I, I sat down and I asked my parents and my sister to work on this too. But I tried to document everything we had in the jukebox and make a playlist of it for, uh, you know, nostalgia's sake. And to be able to play that through something that added the noises of the thing switching records and yeah. going back forth would be fun um okay so 
the, the, the conversation is naturally moving towards drafts, obviously. Um, I would describe drafts as, uh, and I think you use it as a tagline at some point, but the home for text, kind of like the place text starts. Yeah, the tagline I still use is where text starts. And yeah. that was, I mean, the original core concept of the app was to be that place to jot down things, to not have to think about where it went. Um, just kind of have any time you've got an idea you want to jot down, you just launch the app. It's ready to type in a new in a new note and you jot it down and you can put it away. You can deal with it later. You know, yeah. Um, and sure, it was inspired by GTD stuff um, and all and having a capture system. But a lot I was finding I needed a meta capture system because even if you had a task manager with an inbox, not everything went into a task manager. You know, some things were messages and some things were tweets and some things were destined to go in a journal or whatever. Yeah. And I just wanted one place to open it up and jot that stuff down. Yeah. And I think most people, the majority of people who have really adopted drafts over the years use it primarily for that. Um, that's the first purpose of it is to capture that stuff. And then, you know, the outcropping of that was to provide ways to do something with that once you captured it. Right. Um, and, the, and all the extensibility you added to it. Yeah, and that's where the action framework came in, and that's where it's grown the most over the years. It's just providing more different, more powerful ways to manipulate your text and get it out, published somewhere, or yeah. into a new system. The thing that's always appealed to me is it takes away the choice when I open up my phone with the intention of of taking a note or sending a tweet or uh, adding a to do item. The that paradoxical moment where you have to figure out which app to use and to just have drafts in my dock and just be able to always know this is where I start. This is where I get it out of my head and then I can do anything I want with it. And it's, it's always served that purpose really well. Yeah. And I think it helps a lot of people keep, I don't write the, it doesn't keep your phone in your pocket per se, but <laughs> keeps it from staying out of your pocket for too long, you yeah. know? You're out at a restaurant and you have an idea or something you know you need to remember later uh, and you want to jot it down, but yeah. you don't have to sit there and assign tags to it and put <laughs> it in the right list in your task manager and, and ignore the people you're with for 10 minutes doing it. You know, yeah. you just get it out, jot it down, put away a phone and you're fine and you yeah. deal with it later. And you don't get distracted by all the other items on the to-do list you're adding it to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I use it for Twitter that that way all the time because you think of something you want to tweet and you just don't. If you open up the Twitter app, uh -huh. you're, you're gone. You're done for <laughs> for 20 minutes. Yeah, totally. You just type it up and tweet it without ever leaving drafts. You don't have that problem. So what what other big changes have happened in the last few years for drafts? Um, well, I mean, when we talked in 2014, the app was about two years old. It came out in 2012 originally. And I kind of grew it to a certain point. I did several major uh, release upgrade versions uh, along the way. And then a little more than two years ago, I relaunched it um, as a new app on the store, a new SKU with a subscription model and Along with that version and the updates I've been doing since, it's become much more of a full-featured note storage environment as well as being a capture tool, you know, with tagging, with the workspaces, which are sort of saved filters and views uh, of your drafts. A lot of people have been using it more and more as their sole note-taking store, um, which has kind of changed the, the profile of the app. And, of course, along the way, Last year, I brought it to the Mac as well, which was a big piece of, of making it a complete solution for a lot of people. Right. Turns out nobody wants to take notes on just one or the other and not have it accessible on both. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, the transient nature of the way people, a lot of people use drafts made it, you know, it still was, it worked for them on just iOS because it was their convenient thing on their phone to capture stuff and send it somewhere else. But yeah. The more you start to store stuff in it, the more you want to be able to get to it everywhere. Right. Yeah. I mean, appending to a, a Dropbox file is is okay, but having the full search and workspace capability of drafts on your Mac is uh, ideal in comparison. Yeah. 
I mean, it's something I'd wanted to do forever, but I really had to do a lot of re-architecting to do. So when I released what was originally draft five uh, in early 2018, I had rewritten it from the ground up. And along the way, the core framework stuff like the editor and, uh, and the data storage, I had built it all cross-platform to be ready for that. It was a multi-year journey, but it was worth it. So speaking of the Mac app, I think that you you added um, uh, kind of uh, integration for Mark's streaming preview, which allowed people to see their Markdown notes in rendered format as they typed. Um, the biggest issue was that the current version of Marked flashes every time you type a key now because you're, oh. cause you're re reloading the html every time right so i uh i i because of your integration i i created or i rewrote the entire update system for the preview and it's currently in beta by the time this episode goes live it'll probably be out of beta and live on the app store but i've got it down now where it updates fluidly with with no flashing and uh, and drafts was the big inspiration for me finally getting to uh, to rewriting that. So I'm excited about that. I'm sorry I created work for you. Oh no, it needed to be done. Uh, it, the only thing stopping me from doing it was I had at least a dozen features in Marked that kind of depended on the DOM refreshing with every update, uh, and it was a lot of mental gymnastics to figure out how to not break everything. But once I get into it, it turns out I'm not the worst programmer in the world. And it was all, it was all salvageable. And, and it like, it was the first time I've gone into code that was over five years old and not hated it. I, I did, I did something right. That's cool. Sometimes you surprise yourself. Sometimes you run in fear at the stuff you've done in the past, but <laughs> I tend to, every time I start a new project between the last project and the new one, I've learned like a new pattern or a new framework, or, uh, I've gotten better at, uh, anything from one liners to, uh, general algorithms. And so I'll start with a fresh slate and I'll be writing all my code in a new pattern and then. By the time I get to the project after that, I hate everything that I had built. Like I've, I'm ready for a whole new pattern and I don't like to go back and work on anything I made before. <sighs> Such is life of coding, I guess. Yeah, it, uh, it is frustrating. Is it or is it, is it a fun challenge? I think it's a fun challenge. Well, I don't think we'd be doing it if we didn't find it a fun <laughs> challenge. It is frustrating at times, though. So I have, I have two, two questions, both related to drafts, one from me and one from another guest who heard you were going to be on. Uh, first off, I'm working on my own note-taking app that will admittedly be a competitor to drafts. But setting that aside, we're trying to figure out if we want to go subscription or not. And we neither of us like the idea of going subscription. Um, we want to just sell the app and let people own it, but we also need ways to handle free trials and paid upgrade paths. And the app store doesn't really offer us much other than subscriptions. So we're leaning that direction. And drafts is one of the, one of the apps that I, I subscribe to and it doesn't bother me. I'm wondering how that's worked out for you. So, I'm, I was very hesitant about it as well. You know, I, I'm a person, I think like everybody else, you do get fatigued by it. You've got all these streaming services and other things you subscribe to, and you start to realize those bills add up. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, and the more software has gone that way, I have more and more of those subscriptions. And I was hesitant about it too, but it, it was a decision that was kind of a make or break for me for drafts. I was at that point uh, rebuilding it a couple of years ago. I had, you know, was, was the existing version making money? Yes, it was making some money, but it was not making enough to support me spending the time on it. Right. Yeah. So I could have sold a new version as an upgrade again, but 
that's also something the app store doesn't handle excessively well, right. you know, to move to a new SKU, you, you know, you're breaking a history of URLs and links and reviews and stuff that yep. are detrimental to your app. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to move users and to, to migrate them if you do that. So a lot of pain points. And I, I did launch as a new SKU because I wanted to support my existing users for a while and not force people to migrate to the new version immediately if, if they didn't feel it was a fit for them. Um, so I took that step. I also made a generous free version because I felt like the nature of drafts is not something people always just get. Sure. Like your light bulb moment with drafts is probably not going to happen in a seven day free trial. Sure. So I wanted the opportunity for people to experiment with it, you know, play with it for a few months or continue to use it forever for free if that meets their, their needs and hope sometime down the road, once they've got it integrated in their tool set, they'll decide some of those pro features are worth the additional, uh, you know, things. So there was a lot of steps to the way I built into that process. But also, I was deciding, am I going to do this as a full-time job or not? You know, I was not making enough from drafts that I I didn't have, I'm trying to create the right words for this, but my vision for the app could not be realized if I did not have a steady income from it. Um, and the upgrade cycle leaves you in the place I was there where your income is front loaded at the time you do an upgrade, your loyal users pay you. And then at the tail end of that, you're struggling to get out that next version. You, you've probably held features that you wanted to do for a year because you need to be able to charge for them, et cetera, et cetera. And I just wanted to be able to develop quickly, iterate, get new features out to people fast, um, not have to hold them for a big upgrade, yeah, things like that. Yeah. And I, I just think that this model fits for what drafts is because there's a lot to be added. Sure. And I think that that's part of the nature of it too, is that it is an app that um, lends itself to constant iteration. I think that there's some apps that have gone to a subscription model that are more or less feature complete and you, it's harder to see the value, you know, of them maintaining it. Yes. There's a lot of work to, continue to maintain software, do OS compatibility and stuff like that. But um, it's not it's not as visible to the user. It's not stuff they understand they're getting as a benefit for continuing to pay. So, you know, it's a matter of the nature of the app uh, and, and what I wanted to do with it. But I haven't gotten that much pushback. I mean, there was people who just don't want anything to do with subscriptions. And right. I understand that, and I may have lost some of those customers, but what I did get was enough customers to make this sustainable and who are happy with the development pace and, and stuff. So, you know, you got to cut your losses in some areas. You can't please everybody, but uh, so yeah. far it's been working out, and it's been able to make it my full-time job. And it's, you know, without that subscription income, I wouldn't have been able to bring it to the Mac. I wouldn't have been able to do some of the additions I've done to the app. So, I think uh, I think for us right now, because we're not converting, like we don't have a paid version out there that we're going to disappoint a bunch of people, uh, I, I think it's way easier for us to launch with a subscription model and just anyone who doesn't like it, anyone who's diametrically opposed to subscription, we might not get them as a customer, but I do like the idea of having, as you put it, a generous free version. Cause I think those people might change their mind over time. Yeah. I've had people told me they had drafts on their phone for six months, a year or whatever, before they really either it clicked with them what they were supposed to do with it or somebody else talked about it on a podcast and they realized a use case they hadn't thought of before for it and things like that that eventually you know and now it's one of their favorite apps so i didn't yeah. want those people to be scared away and you can consider a lifetime unlock too which is something i've gone back and forth on there, there are people who request it um it's a small number of people and to this date, I've decided that I didn't think it was the right choice for the app. Um, but some people insist, hey, I would rather pay you the equivalent of 
three years of subscription cost up front than to have a subscription. I felt a little weird about that because I feel like you're you're making a promise that yeah. uh, you you know that that and yes, absolutely, I intend to keep developing this app. I hope it's going to be great three years from now or five years from now. But should something come up and I decide to quit doing it, I feel like I've made promises to yeah. those people that I, you know, they would have been better off just subscribing. Yeah. And if you're paying for it once a year, you know, it's not like a monthly thing. I mean, you can pay for it monthly or you can pay the 20 bucks and go ahead and get a year. Um, it's not like it's something that hits your charge card every month. And Right. Yeah. I, uh, I have always... In every job I've had uh, where I was working for other people, I've always documented everything I did thoroughly because I wanted to be able to have the peace of mind of knowing I could walk out uh, or something could happen and I wouldn't feel like I had let down the job. Someone else could step in and do what I did. And I'm... I, it goes against the idea of making yourself irreplaceable <laughs> through obscurity, but um, but I, I've always liked to have that freedom. It's been important to me to know that if something happens, if something changes, I'm not stuck. And I, I think I have the same reaction to the idea of lifetime unlocks. Yeah. Yeah. You don't you, you want to put yourself in a position where you're not going to leave anyone in the lurch. Uh if if you decide to work on something else or or whatever yeah i don't i don't know if uh if users understand the level of obligation that most developers independent or not feel towards their users it's uh there, there's a bond there we we feel a responsibility to take care of people who give us money yeah and i mean that's been a great thing about I think this has come with subscriptions to some extent too, but I think it helped build the build the community around the app. I think the level of investment increased. I think the amount of participation, you know, I, I have a discourse forum for users to help each other with actions and stuff. And I think the level of engagement has gone up um, with the subscription. And I don't know if there's any real psychology to that or, or not, but I think people are a little more invested in the app um, and that that helps not just you know them but other people in the community and stuff i have you know a small core set of power users that are great and really help people out on the community forums and help people get the most out of the app and you know I, it, that that's amazing to have that behind it well there's nothing like a yearly or monthly reminder that you're paying for something to add value to it absolutely all right so question the second uh, comes from Eric Linder. He's wondering if you have any tips for searching in drafts. He's especially curious about if he knows an exact phrase he's searching for, he can't always get the results to come up for an exact phrase. Um, so I could point him to stuff in the docs, but both in the quick search and in the search over the list, uh, drafts supports Google style uh, tokenization. So if you want to find an exact phrase, if you put it in quotes, um, you're going to search, be searching for that entire phrase. And you can also do omissions with the minus sign like you can yeah. on Google. So if you want to, uh, you know, find something in, but omit some related things. And that works with tags as well as content of the, the draft itself. So you can construct some pretty, uh, pretty intricate queries uh, just with those two features it does not um that is something that i'd like to to add it, there's a and or constructs for tag filters and workspaces but the query string itself doesn't have uh does not have boolean uh i that is that the search syntax in apps like drafts or the upcoming nv ultra or even like task paper everyone kind of develops their own query syntax and i really it's nice when people google set a standard and it's nice when things that work in google work in your your text editor apps mm -hmm. um, the the quoting exact phrases should definitely be a standard for everybody um i actually our app doesn't incorporate the plus minus we have we have and and not booleans but the plus minus would be really handy i might steal that 
I've got it on my list to do better Boolean logic. I haven't got there yet, though. Yeah, it's definitely something that's a part of the growth curve of of drafts. You know, for a long time, people didn't used it for more ephemeral things. And now that they're storing more stuff in it long term, having some more powerful features there would be great. So what's up next? Anything you can talk about? Um, I got it. Right now, I'm in the midst of the OS upgrades, you know, implementing the new features that kind of have to be there um, for the new OSs because drafts is kind of known for being on the cutting edge of of what you can do. So I'm working on widgets and um, I've previewed them on Twitter and stuff. Yeah, I've seen those good widget implementations and I'm working on, you know, just visual upgrades for Big Sur, um, stuff like that. That's the short, short term. And then hopefully end of year to beginning of next year, I'm going to finally roll out custom syntax definitions and themes, which has kind of been part of the core editor engine I rewrote for, for the current version of drafts all along, but I haven't rolled out the ability to install your own uh, and develop your own. And I think that's going to kick open the doors for a lot of things on drafts because as it stands, the syntax highlighting that ships with the app, I have several flavors of Markdown and uh, Task Paper and and JavaScript syntax highlighting. But yeah. the, the engine underneath that is a it's, it's simplified. It's not a you know code programmer level, but it's meant to be more approachable and it has some flexibility to let people do some cool variants like uh, it's all regex based and uh, things like clickable tasks can not just be on off but you can configure your own that have multiple states uh, things like that and i think you know and there's also been a number of other minor variations of syntax that people want you know hey i i write in markdown but i have this special annotation syntax I like to use, and it it will be somewhat trivial to introduce those kind of variants. And it also supports uh, more stylistic options. I've kept the the default ones that ship with the app pretty plain Jane, but stuff like uh, text sizes and colors and um, things are all controllable with it. So if you're the kind of person who wants your markdown headers to be really big, uh, you can do that in the syntax definitions and stuff. So that's hopefully at end of the year kind of thing. It's it's one of the things that the, the, the core technology is there, but building out the UI is always the, the chore. Sure. Absolutely. Let me take a break here to tell you about this week's sponsor. Uh, when you use the bathroom, you always close the door behind you, right? You don't want random passerbys looking in on you. So why would you let people look in on you when you go online? Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like going to the bathroom and not closing the door. Did you know that your internet service provider, such as Comcast or Verizon, knows every single website you visit? And what's worse is they can sell this information to ad companies and tech giants who will use your data to target you. ExpressVPN puts a stop to this. It creates a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that your online activity can't be seen by anyone. I use ExpressVPN on all of my devices. It works on everything, phones and laptops, and it even works on routers so everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can still be protected even if they don't have ExpressVPN. And the best part is using ExpressVPN is as easy as closing the bathroom door. You just fire up the app, click one button, and you're protected. ExpressVPN is the world's number one rated VPN by CNET, Wired, The Verge, and countless others. So if you're like me and you believe your online activity is your business, secure yourself by visiting expressvpn.com systematic today. Use my exclusive link, expressvpn.com systematic, and you can get an extra three months free. That's expressvpn.com slash systematic and a big thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of the show. All right. Well, that brings us around to the top three picks. Are you prepared for that? I am reasonably prepared for that. All right. Well, hit me with your first one. All right. Well, can we get very general for the first one? Oh, totally. We can do anything you want. I, I, I pick reading. <laughs> Sounds really lame, but reading fiction specifically, because that's something I really fell out of the habit of doing. Um, you know, I, I was an avid reader in the day and, you know, you have 
kids, you get occupied with other stuff at all. And I just wasn't finding time to read any fiction at all for years other than what I read to the kids, you know, when they were young and, uh, I, I read a lot to them, but, um, I didn't read much for myself and beginning of the pandemic, I decided I was gonna, I was gonna get back into reading and it's been great. Uh, it's just such a, a great way to zone out from the stream of things, you know, and I don't mean reading an article on, on the web. <laughs> I mean, sitting down with a book. Um, yeah. And separating from the the stream of things. Are you a Kindle guy or a paperback guy? Um, I am somewhat begrudgingly a Kindle guy, and part of this was I bought a new Kindle uh, at the beginning of the pandemic to support this habit, and it mostly has to do with my vision at this point. You know, I'm I'm 51 years old. I don't see as well as I used to. I pick up an average paperback book, and even with my bifocal glasses i have trouble reading the so, the text in it so it's being able to blow up the font size sure. a bit is helpful which kindle did you get i got the paper white the the basic paper white okay and i've been happy with it i got the oasis i'm really happy with that one i didn't spend too much time trying to figure out the the variations on it um, <laughs> um. So what have you read lately? That's awesome. Um, I've read a, a few things that were kind of on my list of wish, wished I had read, but never got around to things. I read Philip K. Dick's uh, Man in the High Castle, mm -hmm. which was uh, really good. I read Octavia Butler's Kindred. Yes, I just, I just did that one. Which was pretty amazing read. Uh, that's the great thing about fiction, too, is I... I I'm a person who reads a lot, of, has always read a lot of nonfiction and analytical articles and things. I like to be on top of current events and whatnot. But you can think about things like race, but when you put them in a context of a, you know, a fiction and uh, especially something sci-fi like that, yeah. that kind of puts you in in the sense of place and all, it uh, really makes you think about it differently. Yeah, uh, reading Octavia led me to reading N.K. Jemison. Uh, following the line of, of black female authors. Have you read uh, any of the Broken Earth trilogy or like The City We Became, any of that stuff? No, but I, I recommend it. Like good ones for the list. The, um, the I've also been rereading Ursula K. Le Guin's Earthsea books, which are kind of her teen-oriented teen books, but they're ones I read when I was a you know preteen and loved. And I was kind of interested in revisiting them in light of the post Harry Potter era and stuff, because they they kind of have a lot of the same themes that uh, that J.K. Rowling sort of I, I don't want to say ripped off, but uh, <laughs> built on and did it for, in a different way. You know, a wizard who goes off to wizarding school uh, and that kind of stuff. OK, I'm not familiar. Ursula K. Le Guin. Le Guin. All yeah. right. I'll have to check that out too. And she's yeah. written other science fiction, um, more adult science fiction, but uh, Darcy books are a good introduction to her. All right. Cool. All right. So reading with a lot of uh, sub picks there. Yeah. Other other stuff I've been doing, just like in media consumption, uh, I like a light show. I don't like a lot of, sh you know, my wife and I sit down to watch TV usually, and we, we don't want to get too deep into something so i tend to watch stuff that's on the lighter side i've really been enjoying uncle which is on hulu i don't know if anybody's up for a comedy series but uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a british comedy show uh about a a not a musician who does not have his life together very well who is is put in a place where he's uh, taking care of his nephew more often because of his sister's divorce. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the, the learning experience of the, both the, the teen and the, the uncle and, with a lot of good comedy stuff. Is so. it, is it typical British comedy? Uh, is it slightly uncomfortable to watch? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. At times, he he definitely does not realize the responsibilities of taking care of a child in a lot of ways, right. and uh, results in a, in a certain amount of mischief. But uh, um, if you're looking for a well-written, light thirty-minute comedy show, 
Lately, I've been really into Life in Pieces. I have not watched that one. Most people haven't. Uh, I think it was originally on CBS, but uh, it's on Amazon Prime now. Uh, if you have Prime, it's Dude. a it's a fun. It's it's not it it's super light. Um, you're not going to learn anything from it, but it's a good it's a good filler show. Yeah, I, I've been usually like something like that. I can watch two episodes of that. That's that's on the lighter side. Yeah. Yeah, any long form shows you like? Um, you know, I've given a few a try during the pandemic that were some of the hit things like Ozark and stuff, and I liked them well enough, but they never hold my interest into the second <laughs> and third season. Like sure. I usually find that those uh, are worn out. I mean, The Watchmen was amazing. Yes, yeah. and, and it's what it should be. You know, short run series. They did what they needed to do with it. I hope they don't come back and try <laughs> to make more um, totally. as great as it was. Um, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like that's why Netflix cancels everything after two or three seasons. It's hard to keep people going after that. Yeah, I just actually been. I had never. Although I'd heard great things about it over the years and always wanted to watch it, I had never sat down and watched Community. Mm. And <laughs> one of my sons and I started watching it. And it is a great show. And it, it really was amazing is. for a while. But we're into the last two seasons now, and it's really like, okay, this I still like these characters. It and there's still thin. fun bits in it, but uh, it is kind of worn out. Yep. I did. I did. As part of the my pandemic TV watching, I did go through Community in its entirety. And it was worth it, but you're right. By by the last two seasons, it's it's wearing thin a little bit. I really feel like uh, Troy and Abed should have had a spinoff show about that time, about the time that Troy left. They should yeah. have they should have uh, signed him up for a, a second show. That would have been, I would have watched that. Yeah, the last couple of seasons, they're a little too obsessed with some of the fourth wall breaking and stuff yeah. like that. It, yeah. It's like, all right, I, I got that joke. but <laughs> All right, yeah. third pick. Third pick. All right, I was going to go with a movie for a third pick to keep it simple. And this is one I assume a lot of your audience is probably familiar with, but maybe not everybody has watched recently. But Harold and Maude, <laughs> one of my favorite movies ever. And I hadn't watched it in probably... 15 years or something and uh, just watched it a couple weeks ago with my son and it is amazing as ever. Um, yeah. I haven't watched that for at least 15 years. And it is, I mean, I guess the movie is a dark comedy is how it's usually listed. It's also a romance. It's, it's a weird, you know, it's a weird story about two very weird people finding each other in the world, which is kind of encouraging. Yeah. Um, and it's it's dated. It's from I guess around seventy seventy one, um, and you know has some of the uh, dated bits because of that. But it also uses music incredibly well. Um, I probably wouldn't even like Cat Stevens if it weren't for that movie, <laughs> but I do because <laughs> it's so incorporated so well into into everything in the movie. Um, definitely worth checking out. Do you uh do you do you ever use Spotify? Not Spotify. Um, Shazam now Apple Music's uh, auto tag feature. No. So like when you're at home watching a movie or a TV show, you can leave uh, Shazam open, and it will just start as music comes on. It'll just tell you what's playing, so you can constantly look down. I found a lot of music. A lot of music. Like you said, that if it's well used in a movie or even in a TV show, it contextualizes the music in a way that just hearing it on the radio wouldn't. And a lot of it becomes more meaningful to me. So Shazam keeps like, basically, I can go back in and see every song that played during an episode of a show. And then you have Apple Music links to whatever I want. And how well, obviously, I am a music oriented person. I love music and always have. So I notice this stuff more than some, but. When it's used well in a TV show or a movie, it just enhances it so much. And it's something I think a lot of directors or whoever the creatives behind all the various shows are just don't take advantage of or don't have an ear for or get the right consultants, you know, but that right song in the right place. Um, Palm Springs did a really yes. good uh, version uh, that too some obscure music not stuff you hear every day on the radio yes. but uh it just fit well and they find the, found the right songs and they didn't just drop it in the mix you know they made it a bold 
part of the you know soundtrack yeah really uh agreed it. I, I can't remember i was watching something the other night and my girlfriend and i both commented on how amazingly well they mixed like it didn't stick to a genre at all it had songs from the 80s it had covers of songs from the the aughts it had <laughs> uh new music that no one had ever heard by like i think the national was in there but it was just mm -hmm. this huge array of music, but every single song was one that made you take note without distracting from the plot. If yeah. I, if I remember what, what we were watching, I'll throw that in the show notes, but it was worth it. Have you watched, I am not okay with yes. this on Netflix. Yes. hundred percent. Really well. Too. Yes. Yes. You have good taste. <laughs> Thank you. They just renewed that for a second season. Oh, really? That's awesome. Hopefully they don't go off to the sixth season because it'll be worn out concept by it, then. It's, net, it's Netflix. There's no way it makes it to sixth season. <laughs> so true. All right. Well, uh, anything else you want to add? You can have no, extra picks if you so. want. I struggle with picks to begin with. Uh, I'm very very bad at claiming a favorite anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I generally have too many picks, but I did find that recording even if i was just recording weekly coming up with three every week because i used to do a back and forth and i would have three for every one of my guests three picks and that that got to be got to be a bit much i can only like so many things that much yeah i'm not very like i don't consume a lot of products like physical products these days i kind of have stuff i like and i don't i don't go out and find a lot of new gadgets and things like that to discuss I get it. Um, I just come back every week and discuss my favorite multi-tool and uh, <laughs> how much I still like it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, all right. So where can people find you out, out there on the web? Um, I'm at Agile Tortoise on Twitter, and uh, you can find drafts at getdrafts.com. And uh, thanks for your time today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a fun discussion. Thanks for giving me a second shot at recording this. Ah, no problem. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Systematic. Check out more episodes at systematicpod.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Find me as TT Scoff on all social platforms and follow Systematic at Systemcast, S-Y-S-T-M-C-A-S-T -S -S on Twitter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>